This is Friday Night Shudder. And on today's episode... <sighs> Grave Encounters. <coughs> Chapter 1, Limbo. We open on Jerry, played by Ben. I'm sure there's a joke there somewhere. He's a TV douchebag in the editing room promoting part episode of the other show called Grave Encounters. Title drop, do a shot. He explains what it's about in detail, as if a bunch of assholes fucking around in the dark isn't safe explanatory. Quotation marks. It was years before those other ghost hunting shows. Okay, justification, I guess. Meet Lance Preston, who's seen shit that turned him white. The subtitles start merging into incoherence as he maintains he's going to find proof that ghosts are real. And not just he, but a crap team of ghost hunters with a woman. A woman? Even Mummy says she's a Judas. In fact, a lot of Siva says she's do Judas. Sasha Parker, Matt White, Lance Preston. These are names for NXT wrestlers, not ghost hunters, but who am I judge? If you've seen any rubbish ghost show, then you've seen the introduction they give for Grey's Encounters. Title shot, the drop. Title drop, do a shot, sorry. Wow, that's bad. Anyway, I should point out this point that I hate ghost hunting shows. I hate them so much. And the reason I hate them is not why most other people hate them. I know ghosts aren't real. I'm okay with that. I'm fine. I don't believe in ghosts. That's fair enough. I just wish they were more entertaining. Like, we know it's not real. So why don't they just go full-blown and make them crazy entertaining instead of just having people stand in empty buildings and mansions and hospitals and react to dark? That's not entertaining. If a door slams in dark, you know what that is? It's not scary. It's your body reacting to a loud noise. Just go crazy. Just make stuff up. It's not real, so it doesn't matter. You can have... You can make stupid special effects. You can have ghosts in the background. No one's saying it's going to believe it in the first place. And people who would believe it would like a bit more fun to it, you know? Like, just make them fun. But no, they're boring. They're really boring because it's a bunch of assholes stood around reacting to loud noises. And that's not entertaining. That's a Friday night in any town in England. Like, you know? Oh, it's so bad. I, I'd, I'd prefer my ghost stories to be entertainingly ridiculous, thank you very much. So, essentially, Jerry assures us that it was great, and then they made episode six. He's very clear that what we're about to see is not a movie. And on one hand, no shit, it's not a movie. In universe, this is a TV show that runs for about 42 minutes, and the movie has to be at least an hour and a half. So we're not getting two episodes back to back. So Ray, this is not designed in universe to be a movie. It's a bunch of TV shows jammed together to create a narrative. The problem is, you know, I'm starting to realise there isn't a narrative here. And that wording of that is meant to tell us in advance there's no cat rats, there's no plot. This is just a bunch of shit jammed together. They probably legitimately shot for days and days and days without any idea of what was going to happen. And then the end just jammed all together. That's not a good sign for a horror movie. You need a decent plot. Because without a basic bare bones plot, even bare bones, there's have to be decent bare bones plot, your movie's going to fall apart. Which is what a lot of fan folks movies do. 
The idea that you can just have two actors improvise stuff doesn't work. None of the Paranormal Activity movies are good, but the early ones, like the late ones get really bad, the early ones are especially bad. Because you have two actors who can improvise, but they have nothing to... Improvising requires you to have something to work off in the first place. They have nothing, they're just told, just, just make up stuff. We'll figure out. We'll fix in editing. You can't fix in editing if there's nothing there in the first place. I'm re ranting now. We're, it's explained by Jane that what we we're about to see was assembled from 76 hours of footage. And I just think this point 76 hours of footage for one 42 minute TV show. Oh, so bad. And why do they need 76 hours of footage for three assholes pissing around in the dark? Doesn't need 76 hours footage. You can shoot that over eight hours and edit it down 42 hours. You don't need 76 hours. It's ridiculous. We're told that not frame was doctored, and I don't even believe that in universe. I certainly don't believe that outside. Because the footage we're seeing, footage does not look like that. When you shoot it, you have to color add. You have to add tint. You have to add color. You have to fix the sound. The very nature of fixing sound is to doctor, you know? And that's fine, that's what movies are. First prints are not what you see when you move comes out in cinema. You're seeing uh, many, many changes. Last five minutes and my run on page two of the fucking recap, Jesus. Lance goofs off. Uh, Lance goofs off, unwear they're recording. He can't meet his cue and gets shout that. Finally meeting Scoo, he welcomes us to a new episode at the Collingwood Psychiatric Hospital. Welcome to Collingwood, y'all. Someone drives through his shop and Lance reviews his reader's monologue because he's just like Billy Zane. Between 1895 and 1960, 80,000 worth of Maryland finalist went through these doors. Went close to 1963. Oh, hang on a second. Between, you told us between 1895 and 1960, 8,000 people were here, but closed three years later. Well, what happened in those three years? That's the move I'd like to see, but apparently that's not move we're going to get. That's continuity error, number one. Ghosts appeared after 1963. Apparitions and lunatic laughter roamed the halls. I'm sorry, how does laughter roam the halls? Laughter is a noise... Rome implies movement, designated movement. That doesn't make any sense. Tonight, whatever. Tonight, Lance says his crew and him would stay, not stay, we'd be trapped there from dusk to dawn. I don't think Lance knows the definition of the word trap because you're choosing to be there and you can leave in theory whenever you want unless Lance is red ahead in a terrible script and has seen that, hey, we're going to be trapped at some point. Why not bring it up now? Their goal is find the ghost of Collingwood Psychiatric Hospital. That's really fucking lazy. That's so lazy. And if I was that ghost, I'd be offended at lack of basic alliteration, you know? Lance demands a cut. He meets Morgan, who's surprised this will be on TV. I don't know why, because he was surely told in advance had signed a waiver for the episode. But why not? He describes a local historian. Sure, why not? And Lance interviews him for an exposition dump by asking leading questions. A place would be in 1893. And hang on a second, no. You said that this place 
existed and had 8,000 patients between 1895 and 1960. But it closed in 1963 and it was built in 1893. So you literally had the chance to say this place existed for 70 years. And you didn't take it, and then you contradict yourself, and now you're trying to act like it's this for 70 years. You can't do that. You've already riddled your movie with continuity errors. This is so bad. That's five missing years. That's the movie I want to watch. Not this one, that one. And this entire section, I'm not even finished. This entire part of the movie is 10 minutes, and I'm 8 minutes into this recap. And I'm trying to only go maximum an hour. This is going to be a whopper of an episode, folks. Morgan stumbles over his words, and he's really not much of a historian or public speaker. The gist is that this place place is terrible. That's the intonation we're getting. They get on Mr. Freakin. <laughs> Morgan feels that Mr. Freakin was a Harvard alumni and head physician at Collingwood between 1937 and 1948. How convenient. Just before the Second World War and just after it. He gained notoriety for having a hard-on phlebotomy, scaring out 140. Holy shit, that's a lot. On August 15th, 1948, six patients stabbed Freakin in his office. Did they stab him at the same time? A nurse found his body next morning. Well, what happened to the patients? Did they just quietly go back to their rooms? Fortunately, death of Babe Ruth overshadowed this. This entire situation. I have no words. I don't know why you think they think this would make national news anyway. Even Babe Ruth hadn't died. It wasn't really going to be on front page of New York Times if that's just it done. Lance says it's a crazy story with no inflection in his voice and then asks Morgan if he believes in ghosts. Morgan laughs, saying Collingwood is as good a place as any find them. Seriously, what's wrong with these people? At British facility, as we get really poor banter, Morgan opens door and they enter. We're told it's creepy as shit, but we don't see it. Meet Kenny, the resident caretaker. He's a terrifying-looking dude who's unsure where to look and isn't sure if he believes in ghosts or not. He does think that Collingwood is weird, especially at night, with the old pipes and such, and he believes he's not alone. Thank you, Kenny. That, well, I don't know why that's in fucking movie. Literally, to discredit your entire team of ghost hunters by pointing out everything they're going to be hearing tonight is old pipes and such. So our characters walk and talk, and Kenny says it gets so dark. He locks a window at night and it's open the next morning. I, I don't know if he's meant to be drunk or not. I, maybe it's the acting that's so bad and I have to add depth to the characters and isn't there. He theorises something wants to get out and then I stop and think, wait a second, if the window's open every morning and something wants to get, get out, so it's outside. So if it wants to get out, why is... Why, when you lock window every day, is the window open every morning? If it's already got out, is it coming back? Because if it, it's that sentient, wouldn't it just shut window next morning so you didn't know it had gone out or come back? Like, what the fuck? So we get the classic line, oh, it's definitely a paranormal hotspot, and sure, why not? You're a scientist. Matt White makes an appearance. 
Um, only show how psychiatric hospitals work. Thanks, Matt. We'll see you in ten minutes. They enter a room covered in gibberish, the walls littered with writing. Let read crazy stuff. No one seems to understand that many people in a psychiatric hospital just write on the walls and it doesn't necessarily have to be a literal meaning. The use of the demons are in the hall is not necessarily literal in this case. It could be the ramblings of a disturbed mind, you know? Also, you're ghost hunters. If there are demons here, that's not your jurisdiction. Quite simply, ghosts are non-corporeal. Demons, they spawn Satan. Are you implying that this place is haunted by demons? Because if it is, you, you guys really have your fucking element. They find a very green bathroom. Marking out with the acoustics. A patient often saves here. Right here? La They're asked. Right here's reply. This dialogue is really bad. The young ones that are resting in the tub, and apparently that's ultimately cool and scary. Our cat is prepared to go down to the service tunnels, and I think that's time to wrap up chapter one. This is a very special movie. That's all I have to say, because I've spoken for over oh, 13 minutes on a section movie, which is 10 minutes. This is not a good sign, but I'll see you in chapter two. Chapter two, Lust. Down in the service tunnels, Lars plays patty cake, patty cake with the wall. It's exactly what he was looking for. Well, truly that raised the question of why didn't he have a caretaker bring him there straight away, but, you know, whatever. Ken explains that the tunnels encompass a quarter mile and connect all the buildings. Everyone freaks out about random noise except Lance, who geeks out about mazes and how much he loves mazes. Strange man. One day, Kenny reveals that he was down here, heading to the east wind, and the air got real cold. It was a very eerie feeling. I don't know why Kenny is the choice of man to front large parts of this episode, because he seems very, very confused as what they're doing. But hey, if they're trying for reality, then you gotta get a real caretaker. Sasha sees her shadow and freaks out because she has memories of Peter Pan. And we all we all fear Peter Pan, freaky little kid. Back upstairs, we meet Gary, a construction worker slash contractor who did some work here back here in 1993. Or in theory, was going to do some work until the state shit canned it. He asked if he can say shit on there, and Lance says no, no he can't. They keep it in the movie anyway. Gary says he heard weird noises, and some tools disappeared. Also, a guy fell for ladder. That's the part you shrug off, I guess. And does raise the question, how do you learn for a 20-foot ladder? Anyway, this guy quit, and claimed that he was, um, yeah, attacked by a ghost. Lance explains the difference between a residual haunting, which is a looping echo, and an intelligent haunting, which is an interactive spirit. You know, like Spyro and Dragon. Gary looks so bored, and I can relate. We cut to two high school burnouts, one with, his one with her face blurred, who say they're making out at Collingwood, and they saw a ghost patient. A man in white at the end of the corridor, with a fully shaved head. Full spectral apparition, says Lance. But why would you put this on air? Because half couple 
the woman does not want Beyond Air. She had a face blurred and had digitally active voice. So why would you put this on air? Because she's immediately saying, I don't want to be associated with this. Therefore, her opinion is not based in truth. She doesn't have enough conviction to admit that she does believe in ghosts. So why would you put in a movie? Also, if her face is blurred. She didn't give permission for them to put her in a movie. You know, like, wouldn't you make a sign waiver at the time? Strange. Lance speaks to the Gardner, Gardner, sorry, Lance speaks to Gardner Javier, who doesn't know what's going on as he's only just started the place. They try and get him to say that he saw a ghost, but he really doesn't want to have anything to do with this. He just wants to do his job. Javier is pretty awesome. Lance begs him to make something up, even resorting to paying Javier with petty cash. Then suddenly Javier turns into a terrible actor, deadpanning that he saw a ghost and randomly pointing at a window. Lance freaks out and says this must be a paranormal hotspot as Javier looks at camera with bugged out eyes. Javier is by far my favourite character in this movie and I wish the movie was following him but he doesn't believe in ghosts and he just started so he do. Lance exits a car outside Collingwood. He's called in a renowned sidekick named Houston Gray in relation to Miss Jean Gray. That's something, yeah. Houston looks like a serial killer. <laughs> he says he hears voices, and I just have replied that with no shit you hear voices. He also senses what may be a demon. Again, demons and ghosts are different things. If you're looking for demons, you should be more prepared than you are. If you're looking for ghosts, you know, like, Make up your mind movie. Is it a demon or a ghost? Because if it's not a demon and you mean ghosts and then you twist us at the end that it's a demon, it's not a twist because you're already telling us it might be a demon. Houston walks into the bathroom. He says his sadness and water, red water, blood. Then Lance asks for a cut and Lance and Houston both crack up, confirming that none of these people believe in ghosts. Outside, Lance feels good about episode 6. Well, I did too, but sometimes it doesn't go where he planned. Sasha accuses him... She's back, by the way. Sasha's back. Accusing Lance of heresy. Lance shrugs. He asks for a nice time-lapse shot. We get a nice time-lapse shot. This is young chapter 2. Last. <coughs> chapter 3. Gluttony. Matt wipes the camera down. He's set up on second floor, east hallway. He sets up another camera on third floor in a patient room. Matt sets up a third camera in third floor bathroom. Matt sets up another camera in fourth floor window room. Then shows off his Grave Encounters t-shirt. Title do, drop a shot. Sets up another fucking camera in sub-level tunnels. Noting that this is creepy as shit. That encompassed two and a half minutes of screen time. Some guys setting up cameras. That's not what I want to see when I watch a movie. That's not interesting. You're not setting up the tension. You're not setting up the scene. You're just being boring and filling and padding the shit out. Oh. Lance asks Matt to explain tech because we need more padding. They have an EMF meter, an infrared thermometer, an audio recorder, an EVP thingy, a Geiger counter. And Matt assures us if there's anything fine, they'll find it. Look, it's why I love Ghostbusters. Because they'll do might the brief explanation of how tech works, but then they just get on with it because tech how tech works doesn't matter. 
As long as the people who make the property know how it works, that's all that matters. That's the only thing that's important. Inception, Chris Nolan, doesn't need to explain how the dream device thingies work. He knows he has his own logic, reasons for how they work. He doesn't need to explain in the movie because it doesn't matter how they work. It just matters that they work. People who demand an explanation for how scientific tech work in movies aren't interested in movie staff with all the plot. We're meant to be invested in what characters are going through. As long as you perpetrate that characters are experts in their medium and they're convincing at it, we don't need to have an explanation for the fucking tech. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ. Lance and Kenny initiate lockdown. Kenny locks them in saying he'll be back at 6am. Okay, so it goes back to what I said earlier. I apologise, because when he said he was trapped, I said, no, he's not. But it turns out he is trapped. That doesn't make any sense. As they explain in a second, when an extra, one of the characters named TC, points out stupidity of actually being locked in when all his equipment is in fucking van. Why are they actually locked in? I get from the confines of show they want episode and show grown counters, they won't put out the idea that they're locked in, but you don't literally need to be locked in. Why would you need... You create the illusion of it. It's not real. Why would... Oh, for fuck's sake. Lance Hutchins, they're actually trapped. We get another, another title drop. And it's time to shot a drop, y'all. They roam the vast darkness in search of spirits. So, again, they're not demons and not ghosts. They're spirits. Because spirits, ghosts and demons, they're all different things. Oh. <sighs> Anyway, thanks for clarifying movie. It's not a ghost or demon, it's a spirit. They scoured second floor for a floaty shaved head ghost. You just said you're dealing with spirits and now it's ghosts again. The EVP picks up nothing other than Sasha's incredibly leading questions. Houston plays the hot and cold game with cold being designated objective, pointing to the fourth floor. They scoured the fourth floor. Sasha asks the ghost's open window. The ghost refuses. I'm really at this point. Can they just pick a fucking supernatural creature or creature type and just stick with it? Because we're jumping here. It's really annoying. Lance grabs a stew camera to capture spirit photography. Sadly, <sighs> sadly, the um, sadly photos have to be vet first, and then they'll know if they got spirit safety. It's so stupid. Sasha sits in the patient room asking why a spirit would write his shit on a wall about demons. It's a good question. Lance climbs into a bathtub and asks the spirit who committed suicide if she first Papa Roach or a nickelback. That's a very leading question. Matt is in the tech room. He asks why he sat alone. The movie has no answer for him. In sub level, Houston feels a lot of dark energy. Maybe it's shadow demons from Planet Quad and the anti monitor, aka Mobius. Is down in Collingwood, recovering after being turned to ash by Steve Trevor, who at the time was powered by Yank Life Equation at the end of the Dark Side War. Lance asks the spirits show themselves. The spirits don't do shit. So Lance winds, the tunnels are endless. They're actually a quarter mile, Lance, but for whatever. And that they stink. I can't, re I can't disagree. They stink. I'm just saying they're not endless. They literally have an end, which was told to you by Kenny of a quarter mile. They hear noise, an actual noise. They open the door and find rats. Ugh, oh, I hate rats. Everyone but Lance laughs. They goof off in the tech room. We get a camera montage. The window, <laughs> the window room camera is brief static. Lance asks for some arty camera work. 
TC extra man does some arty shit with camera. He tries to pitch a sequel to Survival of Dead called Checkers of Dead. Don't think that's going to work somehow. He finds a glory hole and then enters a kitchen. He tries to pitch Kitchen of Dead. It's really not going to work either. It's one location. It's a very small location. It's not really possible to have nine minutes of me movie set entirely in a very small kitchen. Cut my dinner, bitch, he asks. Well, why would you say that? Like, if it's... A- if it's spirit, it can't cook. If it's a zombie, you don't want zombie cooking your food because zombies like their food raw. TC scares the horse and finds a wheelchair. Oh, God. This movie's really boring. Lance, TC scares the horse and finds the wheelchair. His phone rings. He puts the camera down so it conveniently has an angle of wheelchair. A wheelchair moves a little as he's talking to his daughter, showing her that no monsters would come because they'd be scared of TC. That isn't a bad scene. I like how it has the um, amusing contrast to what he's saying and what's happening. That's quite good. TC enters a bathroom. The door slams behind him. He accuses the others. They're just happy he recorded it. We get... Footage that's meant to be directly from the episode of Lance going in hype mode. He attempts to make contact. The spirit notices it. Lance gets sad and so you hear a loud bang. And that is the end of chapter 3, Gluttony. <coughs> chapter 4, Greed. The crew walk down corridor, unable to see shit. Noise comes from a room. They investigate. The wheels on the upturned wheelchair go round and round. Round and round, round and round. Someone says hello, asking where the ghost is and if they'd like a greeting. That's one of my most hated things in horror movies. I don't like this current age of looking at tropes and acting like that's general criticism. But this is always immersion destroying when characters in horror movies ask if anyone's there, say hello... And just generally act stupid because if you think someone's in your house or if you think there's a spirit or ghost or demon after you, why would you attract attention to yourself? You know, I get this to draw them out, but why would you want to draw them out? It's, it's just silly. The characters look at the ceiling, which is green and peeling. That rhymes, that's plus. Lance asks Matt what's going on, who's on fourth. Matt replies, who's on first? We all have a good laugh, and then we get back on with the movie. Houston says that they're being fucked with. I, I, I think Houston's a very strange character. Lance and company go up the stairs. TC asks them why they're going up the stairs. The sounds, TC, the sounds! Houston goes full serial killer, saying fucking the main call. It's not, but uh, it, it's weird shifts are starting to baffle me. Houston bluffs that they'll call police if there's someone in here of human disposition and origin who's messing with them. TC takes Houston and shut the fuck up. They argue for a second. Sasha breaks it up. She wants to do EVP. It's not time and place to do... Oh, sorry. EVP. EVP. Never mind. I thought she'd say something different. Sasha continues to ask more leading questions. Lance his response to the question, where are you? Something rush, ruffles Sasha's hair and she flees. First the shadow, then the hair. We know her weak points. TC recorded it on tape. 
Lawrence catches up to Sasha, who says something breathed on her. That's kind of creepy. Lawrence asks Houston to escort the increasingly hysterical Sasha downstairs and then come back. Houston says he'd rather not come back. Lawrence tells Houston he'd better fucking come back and he'd better fucking stay in character. Reluctantly, Houston agrees and walks downstairs with Sasha. TC doesn't want to stay, so Lance bluntly says he is staying and that's the end of the fucking matter entirely. Houston has returned and they record an insert for Lance trying to make... What? What did I write? It's a fuck. They record an... It, shit. They record an insert of Lance trying to make contact again. Houston gets back in characters the way where they... And very strange psychic trying to summon spirit give us a sign Lance asks the spirit wanting his hair ruffled TC says they better not ask spirit ruffle his hair and Houston notes TC does have any fucking hair for the ghost to rustle that's true but that's pretty cool that's pretty cold in Houston come on if there's someone fucking in here do something I don't think he meant dialogue to come out that way, but that's exactly how Lance delivered that line. And also, Lance is hiding a spin-off Grave for Diners there, so that's, you know, it's always nice hiding porn spin-off. That joke completely died, didn't it? I apologise. It's not my... <laughs> Some episodes, you just have to shrug. TC monologues about Bigfoot and Loch Ness while Lance snaps some spirit photography and in developed photo, we see a spirit in the doorway. It only took 36 minutes for a genuinely creepy moment, but that was good, you know? I Here's the thing, I'm just going to be a mini rant here. I do not want to hate or dislike horror movies. I feel bad about my audition bottle episode because I was very cruel. I don't feel bad about Honeymoon because Honeymoon generally was not a very good movie and had a ridiculous ending. But Audition's a competently made movie, and I think sometimes I'm, it's going to come across like I'm being critical for the sake of it and harsh. But bottle episodes particularly, I'm not thinking about being critical. I'm just watching movie reacting to it live, and sometimes that comes across more harsh than it should. But in case of this, I genuinely think that's a really good moment. Like the spirit photography in doorway, I think that's really cool. And I hope that rest movie has more of this, but I'm not convinced. Anyway, that's the end of chapter four. Chapter four, greed. <coughs> chapter five, Raph. Lars believes they have enough footage and asks his crew to pack stuff up. They head out to do that. Houston leads and they get lost. And I start to worry that this hospital might be sentient and that's... A step beyond why I won't go, to be honest. Lance points out they aren't lost, but they try and get in contact with Matt, who, who isn't responding. So Lance decides they are lost, after all. An argument with TC ensues. TC refuses to move, sitting down. I start to wonder why anyone would follow Houston in the first place, because he looks like a serial killer, he's not actually psychic, and it's not immediately clear what he contributes to this unit, except for bad acting of psychic persuasion. In the tech room, Matt and Sasha get high. Being the only two characters in this movie know what they're doing, and what they plan to do, and what they should do. Houston and Al enter the tech room. They weren't lost after all. Matt swears on the life of his unborn child that he was calling them. TC points out the obvious lo logic gap, 
which is locking doors dumb, stupid, and does make any sense. And put ask them why they locked the door. The movie doesn't give us a reply. Matt decides that he should edit footage after watching a few clips of it and realising that they might actually have an episode here. Lance says no. I don't know why he says no, because that conflicts with his character. And if this movie had character arts, Lance's would be, I want to record all of this and I do not want to leave. But in this case, Matt doesn't want to leave, Lance does. Lance points out they have to leave. In completely, they just have to leave the, man, the institute. Matt walks off to collect the cameras, despite Lance saying, do not collect the cameras, let's leave. Matt just leaves anyway. Matt collects cameras very slowly, and I start getting the sense this movie wants to pad out a lot of this content. By the way, that took three minutes screen time. In the window room, a floating light bothers, bewilders, and bemuses young Matthew. He shuts the window and calls Gondor for aid. Gondor does not receive any aid. A pipe is smashed off screen. Matt looks in that direction and walks off to his doom. <laughs> in tech room, Lance sums up what they've learned, which is not a lot. He asks for another take because he doesn't think he nailed the emotion or enunciation they want to. Everyone remembers that Matt is missing and radios aren't working. Sasha assumes that Matt fell off a ladder and obviously, as we've learned, how do you learn for a 20-foot ladder? Lance says if they go, they have to record it, which contradicts him saying, Matt, do not collect cameras, we need to leave. Houston decides he's going to stay. Fair enough. The search for Matt begins. Matt's shit, i.e. all technology and cameras in that, lines the hallway. I'm not talking literal shit. It's movies, metaphorical shit, or figurative shit, not literal. They call out for Matt, noting it's weird that he'd leave his stuff. Lance proposes splitting up, which Teasley and Sasha call idiocy, and po point out the obvious logic gap of splitting up in an institution that you do not have any experience with. Lance says Sasha can go with him, but Teasley's on his fucking own. So Teasley goes exploring, recording all the while. He's worried that his woman's going to beat him when he gets home. Dude, she knows that you're going to be his sits in the morning. Why would she beat you? Why'd she beat you in general? But especially, she knows that you're going to be there all night. TC hears a noise, then either falls downstairs or is pushed. It's very ambiguous. And knowing how clumsy he is, it's very, 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 very ambiguous. Lance and Sasha find him surprisingly quickly, given that they are splitting up in completely different directions. In tech room, TC says he is pushed. He demands a resolution to that plot thread, and he doesn't get one. Lance tries to use his mobile gear signal and can't because this is a horror movie, fuck your mobile phone. TC tries to smash the door down. Lance says it will come out of his raid. TC points out Kane is late and doesn't give shit about coming out of his raid. Apparently it's 7 in the morning. TC and Lance try to smash the door down. It takes them a few goes, but eventually they do it and then they back up in terror because his door does not lead to the exit but to another hallway. Ooh, and that's the end of chapter 5, Wrath. <laughs> chapter 6, Heresy. They find themselves in the new hallway. Sasha manages to locate a door with death waste sprayed on it. Lance finds this slightly odd. They manage to find an exit, but it's locked. TC and Lance play their fun game trying to kick it down.
They kick, they kick, they kick, they kick, and then they kick it down, yay! And then they find it's not that's after all, as it leads to another hallway. This movie's starting to get so slight repetitive. TC asks, what the fuck is going on? Houston tries to explain, but he's told to shut the fuck up. I really think TC and Houston, I don't understand why they're so angry at each other. It's very strange. Seems to have come out of nowhere, there's no cat basis for it. And it's very cold tea. They find board up window. Actually, barred window even. TC tries to break it with his shoulder. He tries once, twice, and thrice. And can't. He correctly notes that maybe he could open it if his tall boat wasn't outside. That's a nice bit of continuity to her on. You know, with fat nearly asked how he's going to get his tools if he needs them and he's told you don't need them. He clearly does. Lance figures that they should go to the window room and break that window. Houston points out that's an 80-foot drop. That seems massively implausible. It's not an 80-foot drop. And if it is, like, I don't know, it's a stupid thing. Such a stupidly large number. Sasha says that she's checked her phone, and apparently it's 8.34am. Houston starts getting really upset now, saying he hasn't auditioned, he has to audition, why can't he audition? TC comes out with no one cares about Houston's queer, insight studio, F-word shit. And by F-word, I mean a gay slur. Whoa, what the fuck, TC? Seriously, I don't know where TC's homophobia has come from, but it doesn't really seem like it's part of his character up to this point. It just seems thrown in or maybe out of for no reason whatsoever. Lawrence says to them, it's pitch black outside. So it can't be next morning. It's a bit of logic, that's good. Sasha says it doesn't make any sense. This move does make any sense. Let's just go with it, Sasha. At window room, they shout out for the windows. No one hears them because no one's about because it's pitch black. It's not 8.34 in the AM is what I'm trying to say. Houston manages to theorise that perhaps the speech force and the antimon downstairs are distorting time and reality. Reminding F1 time that there were zombies on Zombie Island, there's a guy named Wesley knocked over a black lantern and set free Necron, the interdimensional entity of death. TC says that TC says that TC says that Houston's fucking retarded. What is TC's problem? What is where is this anger Houston come from? Houston points out that his Logic is not only rational, it's canon, it's continuity. We saw zombie flesh eaters. We know Black Lanterns exist. Lance speaks to the camera, or a camera. He looks sad. Apparently his mobile phone now says it's 1pm. I don't know. Yeah, he's been sleeping seven hours apparently. Nope, they haven't been sleeping seven hours. That's what I'm talking about. It's been three hours. Four and a half hours even? Since they're in window room and they've just been pissing about. He's to bed taking a nap. Point out nothing makes any sense. In tech room, they're all asleep. A spotlight uses this moment to have the carjack rest and fall over. The glass smashes on the concrete. TC leaps up and accuses Houston of sabotage. I really think TC's got some mega homophobia going here. Lance's safe phone now says it's 8pm. He says they've been sleeping for seven hours. He shows that their food is somehow rotten and TC tells them to shut the fucking freezer box away. Apparently their water's okay. 
Lance wants to go to the tunnels. TC doesn't. He points out they can go to the roof and Jer Jerry rig down fire escape. Exit. Fire exit. Fire escape even. But that doesn't make any sense because Houston said that the drop from window room is 80 feet and the roof is higher up than that. It's what, 150 feet drop? Anyway, Lance reluctantly agrees and that's the end of chapter 6, Heresy. Chapter 7, Violence. TC suddenly demurs. Lance gets really, really, really angry by saying that TC was meant to lead TC and one knows where you're going. TC claims otherwise, pointing out they never stated he knew where they were going. He merely alluded to it. Stated and alluded different terms, different concepts, different definitions. So technically he's correct. Anyway, something stirs in the dark. An ancient Melovian evil? Maybe just a butterfly, who knows. Our crew ascend the stairs. TC starts shouting Houston get the fuck out of his way. I, I'm really confused as to where TC's animosity at Houston's come from. It seems to have come out of nowhere and could be useful earlier on in the movie when nothing's happening to have a little bit of tension. Instead, just bring it up now for no reason. It might be more realistic for it to just come out of nowhere, but it's not more entertaining. And this movie really badly needs a basic character arc. TC's delighted when they find a roof access sign, but it's met by a concrete wall that blocks their way. It doesn't look new, it looks old and as ancient to see. TC debates smashing down, but remembers that concrete is solid and he couldn't even knock down a barred wall. Board up wall, so this isn't going to work. He proceeds to have a breakdown and decides he doesn't want to be on camera anymore. Should have thought about that before we signed up for the movie, mate. We get some arty camera shit paying off that block thread. Or not plot thread, paying off that point from earlier. Down a hallway, lots of creative camera shots. I don't know why they're doing this when they're fleeing for their lives, but whatever. Better late than never. Lance rambles about needing document everything while his crew freaks out in the background. They manage to find a map and argue amongst themselves of where to go next. As anyone who's found a map in Shopping Mall can test to. Sasha begins to lose their shit as her compass starts tripping balls, going all over the place, and point and say north is both north, south, east and west. The sound of screams disturb everyone, but also alerts them to the fact that Matt might be alive after all and remind them that maybe that plot thread needs to be carried through. They burst into a room, but Matt isn't there. Instead they find a bed support, which leaps through the ceiling in a joyful moment of joy not shared by our crack team of paranormal investigators who flee as they are terrified for their lives. Later on, TC gently rocks in the corner. Houston glares at the camera. Lance reveals that he couldn't find enough stairway and now he also hates mazes. He has a new theory in that building changes around them like a house of mystery that occupies both rooms, the dreaming and the earth at the same time. He decides everyone's going to sleep in shifts. After waking up, TC and Lance raise Sasha's top to reveal that Hello has been carved in her back. Freshly carved at that. Houston dabs with a towel. I don't know where he got the towel from, but you know, it's a nice gesture. Even though it would probably sting a lot. Lance asks them to cut that entire segment with the Hello carved into her back because it's gratuitous and exploitative. The walkie-talkie pops on. Lance asks for Matthew and gets the anti-monitor instead, who replies with, 
Hello. And the young monk says that he's really, really rather cold. Then makes heart intent an abortion joke, I think. I heard the words abort and that was it. Lance assumes that that sounds very much like Matthew and asks for a location. The line goes dead. Sasha says they have to find Matt. And that's the end of chapter 7 violence. <laughs> so, I finished watching this movie and unfortunately I went and forgot everything that happens in after this point. So, I'm going to try and recollect as much as possible. I hope it's accurate, but I'm sure it's probably not. So, as far as I can go, last bit I remember of this movie is they try and get through fire exit. Um, which was sealed off and it was all going badly. Well, obviously, you've got the anti-monitor in the base, in the tunnels, in the deep, dark crevice of tunnels, which is a plot point which you assume will pay off. So, I have to assume that the anti-monitor comes in play at some point. He rises from his um slumber with the aid of shadow demons and he wants to feast on what he perceives as Houston's antimatter energy. Well, not antimatter energy, matter energies. Obviously, the anti-monitor, his other half will be the monitor. And he wants to take positive matter, so he goes after Houston. But the problem is, Houston doesn't have positive matter. He's not really psychic. So that obviously infuriates anti-monitor. I mean, I'm guessing that he would have picked off Houston one by one, taking Houston, tried to get positive matter, realised he didn't have any, and then just, like, I don't know, threw him out of a window or something, paying off the 80-foot drop thing earlier. He threw Houston out a window, but obviously anti-monitor is so big that it was like flying 80 feet. So Houston's dead, unfortunately. And then obviously you've got TC... We, we, neat, powerful weapon, Matt. Matt walked through a doorway into an alternate dimension, um, which essentially the DC universe proper. And then everything went wrong after that. He... um. He became a uh, villain Batman, called Cameraman, um, which went badly because, you know, his power was using a video camera, which is not a very big superpower in DC Universe. So Batman, you know, beat him up and then Matt cried and they tried, sent him back through Portal. Unfortunately, they sent him back to the point where he originally came from. Actually, no, it's not even that. They didn't send him back to the point he originally came from. They sent him into the body of a man on a ladder many years earlier, one of Graham's construction workers, and unfortunately, Matt Firth lad and broke his neck. And he's currently in coma inside that man's body. So that's what happened, Matt. TC um, revealed that he was a traitor, that he was betraying them all along for eternal long life by the anti monitor so unfortunately, TC betrayed them completely and utterly, much like Psychopyra in Crisis on Infinite Earths, thinking that he'd be rewarded. No Yankmon to murdered him, so he's dead. Um, Sasha was not a traitor after all, she was very heroic. Um, she ran with Lance, they ran as far as they could, and so they couldn't run any further because they were tired and their legs were sore. The Shadow Demons try to get them, but Sasha sacrificed herself for the sake of the documentary. And Lance thought it was going to be a heroic moment where she is pulled up heaven and she was embraced by the Lord Almighty. But no, she was, you know, destroyed and thrown out of a window like Houston. Very un, very undramatic. You know, it's already been done. So she's her character's dead. And then Lance 
um, recorded a monologue for the camera saying he's sorry you know, he made this documentary. And then the anti-monk approached him and said in one simple word, we've learned a lot today. So he sat down with Lance, this 80-foot marshmallow-looking motherfucker, sat down with Lance. Camera couldn't read them both in frame. Um, couldn't read just the anti-monitor. He just sat with Lance and said, we've learned a lot today. We've learned that ghost movies don't rework. We've learned that sometimes someone making a recap of a movie like Grave Encounters has to make shit up because the actual movie is not very interesting or good. Um, we've also learned that sometimes when doing recap on movie, recapping it and being critical about it makes you hate the movie when it's not really that bad. But the more you think about it, the more it doesn't work. And sometimes you just need to watch movies to enjoy them, which I can't, I can't really do for this podcast because they're not very good movies. Um, so the Antimonter asked Lance what he learned, and Lance um, commits suicide for a hairpin. So Lance is dead. Um, and then, yeah, the studio realised that if they put this out, no one would believe it. But they put it out anyway, and they portrayed it as reality because they knew that would just make people see it more. Grave Encounters was basically this particular universe's version of the Blair Witch Project, and someone got to our universe and was, you know, given average reviews on IMDb. So that's not how Grave Encounters ended, but that's like how I'd like to think it ended. And in the end, isn't that the important thing? The answer is no. Well, time for the end is epilogue. So as you can see, I kind of just gave up on this one. They can't all be wingers, and I don't think this episode was a winger, but I enjoyed making shit up at the end for the last part, because, hey, I I'm a, I was and always will be a writer in my mind, and if I'm not creating shit for no reason, what can I say? Um, I just it just does not stand up to recap. It Some stuff doesn't. This really doesn't. Which is great because next week is Grave Encounters 2. And I'm already knackered. I have to do the IOPD It's Halloween special this weekend. Going up on Sunday. Um, oh, 8pm British time. I don't even know. Like, I've done poster but I already forgot details of it. Um, yeah, like, it can't all be wingers. I think I'm... Yeah, I, I tried. I... Failed because it's first evening. I'm incredibly tired. I'm very hungry, and I was going to watch a video of some mates on Skype later on. Um. So yeah, like I, I don't really know what to say. That fucking did not entirely work. But hey, what's what's life without making a shitty podcast every now and again? Um. Next week's Grave Encounters two. Then it's Green Inferno. So I think we'll have a laugh trying to connect Green Inferno to the fucking DC Universe. And we'll also have a laugh next week when I watch Grave Encounters 2. And I remember that none of this stuff with the anti-monitors actually in Grave Encounters. Which is a shame. But hey, what can you do? This is um, Ian Austin signing off and saying, remember, life is beautiful, but sometimes this podcast sure ain't beautiful. I'll see you on Sunday for IOPDIT's Halloween. I fucking can't wait. It's going to be a milestone, but for now, goodbye.